Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, this is Corey Andrew, and I'm joined today by Adam Lowy, founder of moveforhunger.org. It's an organization that emerged from a really unique and clever idea and it was a way to innovate and also address food insecurity in this country. So in 2011, Adam became a Bloom Health and Social Innovation Fellow and was honored at the VH1 Awards for his commitment to creating social change. And in 2014, he was honored by Forbes in their 30 under 30 list in the food and drink category. Adam, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you for having me. Yes, well, it's my pleasure. You know, I want to begin actually with some statistics because I don't think people know numbers when it comes to food insecurity. So 42 million people every day in this country go hungry with one in six of them being kids. Is that accurate? Yes. Unfortunately, those, those are the numbers. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to food production, what I've learned from researching you, um, I've learned that 35% of the food that we produce goes to waste. It's like nearly half, basically, if you round up. Um, That's staggering as well and alarming to think that. And also it's strange because we're supposedly the richest country in the world. So how do you reconcile that if that's what's happening? Yeah. I mean, food insecurity is is a huge problem here. I mean, I know you mentioned one in six kids, but it, it touches every single population. I mean, you look at veterans, LGBTQ populations, African-Americans face hunger at twice the rate of their Caucasian non-Latino counterparts. And then when you think about food waste, you know, we're literally throwing away perfectly good edible food all the time. And for kind of silly reasons, if you think about it, I mean, if you go to the grocery store, I mean, the, the example I like to give a lot of the time is you look at the dates, Best buy, used by, sell by, expires on. Like all of it's kind of nonsense if you really think about it. Food doesn't follow a date label. Food has a biological, you know, way of going bad or spoiling, and then re- reducing methane, which is a pretty potent greenhouse gas emission. Um, in fact, food waste is the number two emitter of, of methane gases, and we should not be wasting this amount of food while so many are struggling. So. We really started Move for Hunger is just this way to say, hey, you know, don't waste your food, especially if it's unopened. We've got a really easy way to get it to people in need. And that's kind of how we got started here. Yes. And I love this other part of the story because this is kind of interesting. It reminded me of like how you came up with the idea, like working for your family's moving company and coming up with this idea. It was like Shark Tank when I thought about it. It's like, you know, because I'm always trying to figure out what is like right in front of my face, right in front of my eyes, and I haven't figured out that thing. And so you were working for your family's moving company and you realized how much food was being left behind when families are relocating. So I would love for you to share like when you had that epiphany and that like that Oprah aha moment, as you would call it, that <laughs> came to you. It's amazing, really. Yeah. You know what? We've, we've all moved at this point, you know, and, and people throw away all sorts of stuff, food, clothing, furniture. Um, it was the perfectly good, unopened, non-perishable food that was getting left in the pantry. And, and honestly, customers were asking, what should I do with this? They were feeling guilty about it. 
So it started as like this, just this way to solve this problem that you see the customer having. And like, like any good business, right? Like you should be solving problems and providing better service to the customer. But it also felt like this is really nice thing to do, right? We were a moving company. We were in the home anyway. We'll pick the food up. We'll bring it to the food bank. The food bank was down the street. Like it wasn't going to cost us much, but the reaction from the customer was like, oh my God, you know, I can donate my food and it's not going to cost me anything. You've now solved me a problem, right? And on top of that, I get to feel good because I know that I'm feeding somebody in the community. In our first month, we collected 300 pounds of food and I visited my local food bank. And that's where I learned that, you know, there were more than 100,000 people in my county that didn't have enough to eat. And if you look around Monmouth County, New Jersey, you do not see poverty or homelessness or all the stereotypical attributes that you think about when you think about hunger. Right. Um, but it exists here as it exists in every community. And education, you know, having my eyes opened was kind of like that first step in saying, we should do more and others can do more. I knew nothing about nonprofits at all. And, you know, if you'd asked me 13 years ago, if I'd be running a nonprofit, I would have told you you're out of your mind. <laughs> but as I've, you know, dove into this industry, um, I've really learned that nonprofits are about problem solving. And the best way to do that is to leverage resources that already exist. So with the moving industry, you've got trucks and drivers and warehouses. Um, and if you look at the food banking industry, they've got trucks and drivers and warehouses and a lot of the same struggles. Um, and what we did was take this industry and put them to work. And today we've got 1,100 movers across the U.S. and Canada that are recovering food as part of their operations. They're making food recovery business as usual to feed the communities they serve. Wow. That is fascinating. So you had to connect dots of other people and that's what other industries, I should say, to make this bigger dream really work. And that's what I think is also so tied into what we talk about here at the NSLS as a leadership conversation, because leaders have to often, if they have a vision, they have to convey that to others to inspire others to get involved in that vision to, to bring it to life. So in this case, you have other moving companies, corporations, you have to coordinate them going to pick up the food here and there. It becomes like a whole operation across the country. So how do you actually connect those dots? I mean, is it like you have to re-refrigerate trucks now? So when they go up, they can keep the non-perishable, especially like that you have to really innovate in that regard as well? Logistics is definitely always challenging, and it's probably one of the reasons why there's nobody else that does things exactly the way that we do. But at the same time, we try to keep things simple, right? Because if you overcomplicate things, no one wants to participate. Yeah. yeah. So for our, our moving partners, what we did was we created materials that could market and educate their customers about how to participate. Please donate your food when you move. This inherently then becomes the movers program. They're there, they pick it up, they bring it back to their warehouse, and once a month they bring it to the local food bank. When we started, everything was unopened, non-perishable, so you did not need to worry about refrigeration yeah. or food safety or anything like that. And it's really only just the past couple of years because of the pandemic that we've dipped our toe in um, fresh food recovery. That's not coming from the customer side, but instead working with big farms or distribution companies or you know, thinking about how can we get pallets of food to get to where it needs to be. And in that case, yes, we're looking at refrigerated trucks, cold blankets, cold storage. Again, looking at what are the logistics of getting food from point A to point B and doing it in a way that ultimately point B is the people that actually need it. Yeah. You mentioned when it comes to the 
like the idea of expiration dates and keeping things beyond the expiration date because you know they actually can still be consumable. It reminds me of when I worked in restaurants uh, younger, my younger days, and I was terrible at it, so it was short-lived, I might, believe me. <laughs> uh, I did give it a shot. But one of the most frustrating things I remember was at the end of the night, I mean, the food that we tossed out, and I mean, you know, the unused bread. So there would be like just, I don't even know how many cases of bread that we had baked and had to toss out at the end of the night. And I remember we all were like, well, can't we give it to the homeless? Can't we X, Y, Z? And we were always told things like, well, there's a liability. And they, we were told this story that I think may be like a myth at this point. But apparently a homeless guy was given a meal from a restaurant and you know, and he got sick. And so he sued them for millions. And now no one else will get involved. I don't know if that's folklore, but I heard <laughs> that story. But do you find that there is a concern or is that a real thing, a liability of what if you are providing meals and there is a, a contaminant or something that goes wrong with it. There's little truth to that, but I will say there's a nugget of truth, right? So there's there's been a good Samaritan law on the books for a very long time, which basically means if your intent was to actually help somebody, you cannot get sued for that, especially when it's about you know giving food and donations of food. Now, the nugget of truth is a number of different cities and municipalities across the country have in some cases made it more challenging to donate some of that food. So for example, in New York City, you need to have nutritional facts on that. So if if a baker wanted to donate bread and there were no nutritional facts on that because it wasn't wrapped and labeled, they wouldn't be able to donate that. So very often we see that bread, unfortunately, just go in the trash. Now, I think what we want to get to is a point where if we can't donate it, how can we ensure that it doesn't end up in a landfill, right? So can we compost it? What are the other ways that we can kind of think about reducing food waste in those cases? And I'd say most really good chefs, they care about that because that is cost. The average American family of four wastes $1,200 in food a year. It's real money, right? And then you go to the restaurant level or the grocery store level, like no one wants to be wasting food. Every bit of food you waste is, you know, dollars off of what you could be making in revenue. Mm -hmm. So- not only is it the right thing to do to be reducing food waste, but it's the smart and economical thing to do. And I'd say it's really just been over the past couple of years where we've started to see this movement in terms of, you know, food waste reduction. I've been very excited to see new standards happening, coming out, hopefully in the next couple of years on date labels, new technologies um, that that are going out there, um, new composting abilities. There's a lot of cool technology happening on, on that side of things. And my hope is, Consumers are going to get excited about this because hopefully it will save them money. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, again, people are going to be really, well, if they do the research, if they do the research and see how much need there is for feeding people. I mean, I was shocked to find out how many people, and it just seems like it's so it's so frightening because now prices are even going up. So I'll go to the grocery store and I'll see families making these decisions about basic things. Right. Just yeah, like, it's, it's you know, you're going to pay rent or buy medicine for yourself or are you going to put food on the table for yourself or your kids? Like these things were happening way before the pandemic. The pandemic exacerbated those and those that were struggling before were hit doubly hard. And now you have this whole supply chain crisis where everything is going to go up, you know, 10, 20, 30 percent. Yeah. Especially food while wages have virtually remain stagnant for a very long time. Everything has gone up. Wages have remained the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we think about hunger, hunger is actually a symptom of poverty, which is a very complicated problem. 
but you're not going to solve hunger unless you address people getting paid a little bit more and bringing down the costs of those basic things that, that people need to survive. Yeah. And it seems like that's a continuing debate that it's exhausting to even watch. I'm like, why are we still having that debate? Because it's basic math, really. It's not, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're asking anyone to really like kind of, uh, you know, work out like some strange like equation that's like, you know, from from like a calculus book or something. I mean, it's pretty like, a, like you just said, if the price of the food goes up, how can that same amount of salary pay for that food? So hopefully we can find some resolve with that eventually. But I do want to ask as well, I know that when it comes to forming this company, as with all companies, you know, you start out with a good idea and you're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then you might hit some missteps and you may falter or do things that maybe didn't work out. Can you share some of the obstacles that maybe you had when you first began your organization? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still make mistakes 13 years later. And I think that's, that's part of your growth journey, right? Anytime you're, you're kind of getting started out. I mean, I know when we started, I reached out to a company and, you know, I, I just saw that they were a big company. That's all I knew. And I asked them for a hundred thousand dollars without, doing any research without looking if they are giving to any other organizations, if they even had a you know, philanthropic program there. And we were working with a couple of, of their partners and they basically said, cease and desist. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, you can't just come and ask us for like, are you a joke? Basically the president of that company ended up later coming to meet me and my family in New Jersey joined our board of directors. He didn't give me the hundred K he gave me $10,000, but introduced me to everyone in the industry because he was the president of a major moving van line, we, we Worldwide Moving. And for me in that moment, those introductions were more valuable than any amount of money he could have given. That, that was credibility. Yeah. In terms of you know the other stuff, while our programs have been going for a while and we've launched some new ones, like just because something's going well doesn't mean that it can't be better. So we are constantly iterating um, on everything that we do, uh, whether it be you know in-person events, we had to pivot to virtual events during the pandemic. People had less food to donate in some cases. All the supply chain issues um, that people faced hit us too because we work with trucks and movers and <laughs> uh, you know thinking about all those things. So we had those challenges and we tried a lot of things that didn't work and you stick with the things that do. And I think that's that's how you grow and how you learn. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when it comes to this particular CEO you're mentioning though, I am curious, what was the problem with how was it how you approached him? There's a there's a protocol at play that you didn't follow that you didn't know about. So you just were like, hey, I'm Bob, send me a check. <laughs> they have moving agents all across the country. We were working with a handful of their agents um, and their marketing team. And it became time where I said, Hey, you know, I, I think I think we need to to go bigger here, right? I think we want to expand. So I, I just kind of reached out. It was my first time contacting the president and my first ask was $100,000. And again, what I learned from that moment was you need to do research before you make a pitch, right? You can't just go and ask somebody for money. And also in retrospect, money wasn't the ask that, sh- that I should have been making from him at that point. You know, we were only several months into our little pilot right, right. <laughs> with, with, you know, five different locations across the country. Yes, $100,000 would have been pretty significant. But again, learning that not nearly as significant of him making the introductions and the rounds and saying, Hey, these guys are a legitimate organization and you should get involved. Right. So do your research. Um, especially if you're coming from a, a place where you are an NGO, you got to look at what is the charitable giving history? 
What are they doing around employee engagement? What are their marketing goals? And, and you know, does their brand align with what you're doing? Because you could have the best cause in the world, but if it doesn't make sense, you know, they, they might be giving to someone else and that's, that's a better fit for them. Um, I, I say it all the time. I said it earlier about leveraging resources, right? There's a lot of companies that are like tackling a lot of different causes. So for instance, like, would it make as much sense for the moving industry to be tackling financial literacy? Probably not, right? But a bank has a lot of those resources in place already. So you should hopefully see more banks tackling that issue because it's a major issue and it wouldn't cost them a lot of extra. And hopefully it might even lead to more people opening bank accounts. So when you can create that cycle of doing good, also being good for your business, companies will be more likely to participate in the future. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because financial literacy has come up a lot in recent interviews here on Motivational Mondays. I had the former uh, CEO of um, Ameritrade, and we were discussing how that's a passion of his because it begins with even, you know, he'd like to see it start in the elementary school level or the junior high school level, teaching kids the basics of like, you know, this is more than just a credit card. It can ruin your life. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, here's what an APR looks like. Here's a percentage range you might not want uh, because you'll be just paying off the interest. I mean, and they'll, it's funny. Those are things that most of us don't know. And I know I got in trouble in my early 20s because of that. And it's a catalyst for a lot of stuff. And to you, so and the point you're making is there's a connection between learning from the beginning about how to have financial health and then how you move forward in maintaining your existence. Absolutely. It's all connected. It's, you need all of those things. You know, we talked about getting yourself out of the cycle of poverty. You can't do that without education. Yeah. You know, food banks and, and the work that we do, we are one small part of this larger equation to, to think about how we give people the resources to be able to live, you know, fulfilled lives where they're not worried about just their next paycheck. I wonder if, with all you're doing, and I know at this point, I believe the number was 26 million pounds of food, if I'm not mistaken, thus far you've delivered, which comes to, I think was 22 million meals. I'm just trying to remember my numbers there. That sounds like a lot. Now, is that enough to actually reduce the percentage of the poverty? Or are we just sort of in real time feeding people who are hungry in real time, but not, not reducing the actual situation? I mean, we're definitely not reducing the, the situation with what we're doing yet, right? Like it's, it, takes, it takes a lot more than that. And we've become kind of partners with all the food banks and pantries that we're providing this, this food to. I'll say the difference I feel that we're making is we are educating millions of people every year that did not sign up for a food bank's mailing list, right? If you happen to be moving, you're going to learn about what hunger is in your community and how to help. And whether you donate food with us or not, you're going to be much more likely to you know, participate or donate or actually care about the cause in the future because your eyes have been opened. The other big shift I think that we're making is on the corporate end. We're getting not just consumers to care, but these companies to care. Companies like Mayflower, Allied Van Lines, or on our property management program, Graystar, Equity Residential, Bell Partners. I mean, they're now part of their social media strategy includes statistics about hunger and food waste. Like if we didn't exist, they wouldn't be pushing that out there to their residents and prospects and all these things. So you're creating this this educational and awareness shift and saying, these issues are important to us. 
And then when they go and do other things around sustainability or food waste or community, they're going to incorporate this stuff into there as well. It's not just about move for hunger. It's about getting people to, to care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got, that's the first step. Um, If we shut our doors tomorrow, we know that we've got, you know, a few thousand companies that care about this work and will hopefully continue in some way, shape or form. I love your story and thank you for doing it because it is something that is just, it's humanity at its best that someone would create a network like this to make sure that other people who they don't know, strangers, just have basics to survive. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today on Motivational Mondays. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.